Good evening, everyone. Let's open up our Bibles to Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1, that passage is going to serve as the backbone for our study this evening. As we do some Q&A, and Romans chapter 1 is going to help to clear up a lot of the, the A to our Q's, give us some answers to the questions that we have. Hope that you've had a good afternoon. It's kind of nice now to be meeting in the evening time. We've still got daylight out. I hope you've been able to enjoy, enjoy this afternoon one way or the other. We did have some sunshine, but even with the rain right now, it's been a, a pleasant day. Uh, made even more pleasant by our Wildcats finally getting their act together. See some folks even wearing their Wildcat paraphernalia tonight. and uh, Excited about that, but hopefully we're even more excited about the chance to get to be in God's presence, be with our brothers and sisters in the Lord, get to worship Him, and now open up His Word for just a few minutes. I've got two questions tonight, and both of these questions center around the idea of giving up on sinners. And even though these questions actually came from two different people at two completely different times, these questions do just flow perfectly together. In fact, when we answer the first question, it's going to make the second question really, really easy to answer. And so I need to begin all of that this evening with a kind of a lengthy, but I think a really important reading here in Romans chapter 1. Let's read it out together, 14, 15 verses here. Romans 1 beginning in verse 18. The wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. His invisible attributes, namely His eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made. And so, they are without excuse. Verse 21, For although they knew God, they did not honor Him as God or give thanks to Him, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools. And they exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Therefore, verse 24, God gave them up. Gave them up in the lust of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshipped and served the creature rather than the Creator who is blessed forever. Amen. For this reason, God gave them up to dishonorable passions. For their women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. And the men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another. Men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up. Gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They are gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. Though they know God's decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but they give approval to those who practice them. This first question tonight is quite a doozy, but I do think it is really worthy of our consideration. And that is this idea here of God giving up on sinners. Does God do that? Does God give up on sinners? And if so, when does He do that? 
Well, as we just read right here in Romans the first chapter, as Paul speaks of many of those early Gentile nations, Paul actually really goes out of his way to tell us, not once, not twice, but three times, that at some point there is a sense in which God gives up on people by giving them over to sin and error. We noticed it this morning, but I tried to highlight it again tonight as I was reading there in verse 24, in verse 26, and in verse 28. The refrain is the same. God gave them up. Maybe the part of this question, though, that really is of most interest to us is that part about when. When does God do that? When does God give sinners up? Well, I think we need to actually maybe kind of rewind a little bit. Before we jump into answering that part of that question, I think we need to be reminded of some things, understand some things about the patience and the long-suffering of God. Because this is very serious business that Paul is addressing here in Romans chapter 1. And my concern is, is that I deal and kind of work with this question tonight, that there's going to be maybe somebody in this audience who's going to think, well, Well, that's me. That God does give people up. He gives them over. I'm afraid that that's me. I'm afraid that God has given up on me. That there's no hope for me. That there's no chance for me. That I'm all done. And I think that's a terrible, terrible mistake. Because what we need to start with is by being reminded of God's grace and His mercy and His patience. For example, right here in this context in Romans chapter 1. Paul is dealing with all of the various sins that flow from idolatry. In fact, that's what verse 23 is talking about. That they exchange the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Do you know about idolatry in Bible times? The worship of idols was not merely getting down on the ground and bowing to a big metal statue. It probably included that. But there's so much more about idolatry. Idolatry, for example, involved practically every kind of perversity and sexual immorality that you can even begin to imagine. And yet, as wicked as that was, even to idolaters, God still says over and over again in the Bible, I want you to repent. I want you to come back to me. In Revelation 2, hold your place in Romans, we'll be back in just a second. Look in Revelation 2, here's an example of that very thing. As the Lord addresses the church at Thyatira and some of the problems that were going on there, listen to what He says in Revelation chapter 2 and in verse 20. He says, I have this against you, that you tolerate that woman Jezebel, who calls herself a prophetess and is teaching and seducing my servants to practice sexual immorality, and to eat food sacrificed to idols. Here's some of that idolatry business. Notice verse 21. I gave her time to repent, but she refuses to repent of her sexual immorality. Focus in on the beginning of verse 21. God gives people time to repent. That says to me that God is patient, extremely patient, maybe more than we can even begin to understand. Even towards people who are very, very wicked. God gives people time to repent. And why? Because God doesn't want anybody to be lost. It is not God's will that anybody should die and go to hell. That's not God's desire. 
And the truth is, whenever we read our Bibles, when we study the Scriptures, again and again and again, we encounter people who I think we would probably be quick to say, oh man, that guy needs to be smoked. I wouldn't put up with that. If I was God, I wouldn't put up with that person. I think that guy just needs to be struck dead. He needs to be on the receiving end of God's anger and fury. And yet many times we see God being surprisingly patient with those folks. I think, for example, about King Manasseh. Do you know about King Manasseh? If you've ever studied the Old Testament, studied about the kings? He was one of the worst, if not the worst, of all of the kings who ever lived. He was terribly wicked. He offered, sacrificed his son in the worship of idols. Come on! I would think somebody sacrificing their own child to an idol, I would think that probably would be cause for a bolt of lightning to come right out of the sky and strike that guy dead on the spot. I probably, if I lived during that time, I probably would say, hey, everybody back up because this guy's, this guy's going to get struck dead by God any minute now. He's going to be toast. And yet, God didn't make him toast. In fact, in his distress, the Bible tells us that Manasseh cries out to God and get this, God forgives him. God forgives him and then even restores him back to the throne. Can you believe that? That tells me that God's patience is incredible. And so if you are sitting here this evening, or if ever at any point in your life, if you have ever had thoughts of, God's just given up on me. I know He has. I am too far beyond the pale of God's grace and goodness. Then maybe the verse that you need is in 1 John chapter 1. You know the verse I'm going for, don't you? In 1 John chapter 1, I rely on this passage a lot. But I think that the very fact that your conscience would maybe start raising some of those red flags, I think that's probably the indication to you that you are not too far gone. Because John assures us in 1 John 1, look at verse number 9, if we confess our sins, God is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. There is no sin that you cannot confess and turn from that God won't forgive. 1 John 1 verse 9 affirms to us the patience and the long-suffering of God. But what happens What happens when people don't do 1 John 1 verse 9? What happens when people, they sin, but then they just persist in their sin? They continue living in that kind of sin. In fact, that's the kind of people that are being described back in Romans chapter 1, isn't it? Go back to Romans chapter 1. Look at verse 18 again. What kind of people are these? Verse 18 tells us. These are people who are committed to ungodliness and unrighteousness. And it is upon these people, verse 18 says, that God is going to unleash His wrath. Talked at length this morning about the wrath of God. I'll encourage you if you weren't here, go back and grab that on the podcast and then mesh that with the thoughts that we're talking about tonight. Because one of the manifestations of God's wrath is that God will let you do what you want to do. God will give you what you want. If sin is what you want, God will let you do that. He will allow you to be swept up in your own sin and in your own error. If you don't want to do what's right, then God will give you up. He will give you over to sin. Now, what I'd like to be able to do 
is I'd like to right now just define for you everything that that involves. I'd like to be able to show you step by step what it looks like for God to give a person over to sin and error. But I can't do that. I can't define everything about what that involves. And the reason for that is because because I'm not God. And I don't know. None of us know everything that God is doing behind the scenes. But can we stop for just a moment and let's think about some of the things that we know for certain that God is doing? God is doing lots of things to help us in our battle with sin. For example, the Bible tells us in 1 Corinthians 10 verse 13 that God always provides a means of escape for every temptation. That's a wonderful blessing, isn't it? So glad that the Lord is helping me in that area. Or what about this in Job chapter 1 and verse 12? I think about how the Lord, as He's having that conversation with the devil, the Lord says to Satan, hey, I'm going to let you do some things to my servant Job. You can do this, and you can do this, and you can do this, but you can't do that. And what that says to me is that says to me that God limits what the devil can do to us. He limits the power that the devil is able to exert upon us. And I'm thankful for that too. Or what about this? What about the fact that God, God gives His angels to be ministering spirits on our behalf. Uh, the book of Hebrews chapter 1 verse 14 talks about how they serve, they serve the elect's sake. They serve us. And again, I'm so thankful for that. But what if someone continues to just remain in sin? They stubbornly refuse to repent and they just get deeper and deeper and deeper in their sin. And at some point, God then decides He's going to take those things away. What if God decides that He's not going to provide those blessings to that person anymore? Where does that leave that individual? What if God withdraws His active goodwill and then leaves that person to their own folly and their own wickedness? i got to tell you, the thought of that, the thought of that is absolutely terrifying. As God reveals His wrath against sinners, that downward spiral of sin, deeper and deeper and deeper into sin, it's really just inevitable. It's just a matter of time. And as a result of that, people are given over to the lust of their hearts. Verse 24. People are given over to those dishonorable passions. Verse 26. And people are then given over to that debased mind to do the things they ought not to do. Verse 28. You see, if someone is determined, and I mean they're just headstrong, that I'm going to do wrong, then what God does is God pulls back and He allows them to do wrong. One writer made the analogy this way. He says, in essence, God ceases to hold the boat as it is being dragged by the current of the river, and they are then swept away. Here's God. I had all this stuff on the screen a second ago. God's doing all these things for a person to hold the boat and to keep them from drifting away. There comes a point where God lets go and allows them to go in the direction that they want to go. That's a scary thought, isn't it? The truth is, though, God giving up on sinners, it may actually involve more than just that. Because Romans chapter 1, when you read it, it actually doesn't seem to indicate that God is just kind of passive. Okay, I'm just going to not do those things and now that person, you know, this is what's going to happen. Romans 1 actually seems to suggest that God is taking an active part in this process of giving sinners up. Maybe like a judge, maybe this analogy would work. A judge 
who hands over a prisoner to the punishment that his crime has earned? In the very same way, I believe that God, He hands over the sinner to that cycle of ever-increasing sin, deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper into darkness. Since sin blinds us, the more that we sin, the blinder we get to the, to the goodness and the love and all of the wonderful things that God would offer to us. And that is appalling to think about, isn't it? It is appalling to even consider that. That I could send myself into such a situation that I just don't even want God. The thought of somebody coming to me and tracking up a conversation about the Lord just disgusts me. I don't want none of that. You keep your religion away from me. Keep your Bible away from me. That I could actually reach that point. That I would in my stubbornness and my foolishness and my stupidity, that I would push God away despite all that He is trying to do to rescue me. I could actually resist so strongly and so fiercely that God ultimately reaches a point where He says, I can't do anything anymore with this guy. He then gives me over completely to sin. How wretched of a thought is that? In fact, the Bible speaks to that very thing happening. Look in Acts chapter 7, just fall back. In Acts chapter 7, as Stephen is preaching... And he is recounting the history of the Israelites. In the middle of that sermon, he actually talks about that there was a period in Israelite history when the people were just wholly given to idolatry. Well, what did God do about that? When people are wholly given to sin and wickedness. Well, Acts 7 verse 42, Stephen says there, But God, God turned away and gave them over to worship the host of heaven, that is, to worship the sun and the moon and the stars, as it is written in the book of the prophets. Israel didn't want God. They didn't want to serve God. God did everything that He could to keep them away from idol practices. But finally they said, you know what? We're doing this idol thing. This is what we want. We don't want you, God, but we want these idols. You can't stop us. And the Lord ultimately said, you know what? I can't stop you. I can't stop you and I'm not going to stop you. And they were then turned over to every wicked and debased practice known to man. In Ephesians chapter 4, we actually see that again. In Ephesians chapter 4, Paul discusses this very thing, talking about the idea of being lost, being away from the Lord. And in regards to people who do not know the Lord, don't want to know the Lord, Paul says this in Ephesians chapter 4, look in verse 18. In Ephesians 4 verse 18, he says that they are darkened in their understanding. They are alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardness of their hearts. Verse 19, they have become callous and they have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. You read that in verse 18 about the hardness of heart and somewhere in there you begin to think about Pharaoh, don't you? That was a guy who knew what he ought to do. He knew that he ought to let God's people go when Moses came and said so. And God then followed that up by sending him a ten-lesson correspondence course to show him his power and his might and his greatness. And still, Pharaoh would not let the people go. And why? Because Pharaoh was stubbornly determined to resist God. You want to resist God? 
Romans chapter 1 is saying to us that if you kick and if you scream long enough, eventually the Lord will say, okay, that's what you want, then that's what you're going to get. I will withdraw my blessings. I will withdraw myself from the scene here. And I will let you then be eat up with the sin and the wickedness that you so greatly desire. Now, having said all of that, this now is probably the most important thing that I will say in this entire lesson about this question. You need to understand that even though I believe Scripture does bear out emphatically that God does give up, give sinners over to their sin and to their wickedness, God does that in all kinds of different ways, I need you to understand we don't know when that occurs. We do not know when the Lord would choose to do that to an individual. We don't know. There's not a trumpet sound in the air that lets us know, okay, God's given up on this person. We don't get a bat signal in the sky to let us know, okay, God's given up on that person. People don't get marks on their foreheads. So when we see them, we say, oh, okay, yeah, I was going to talk to you about the Lord, but no sense in doing that because God's already given up on you. God doesn't give us that. We don't know when that giving up or that giving over occurs. And what that means is, is that means that we need to be very, very careful before we just decide within our minds, you know what, I'm going to give up on that guy. Seems like the Lord's given up on him, so I'm going to give up on him too. We don't know that. You know, I would have thought for sure that God would have given up on Manasseh a whole lot sooner. I would have thought there would have been no chance for repentance with that guy. No way that guy's going to call out to the Lord and he's going to repent and God's going to forgive him. I wouldn't have thought that was even a possibility. And you know what? I would have been wrong about that. You see, only God knows for certain when a person has reached that point, wherever it is, only God knows when that moment has occurred. And He then gives them over to the sin that they crave so much. Which is probably now a good place for me to insert this second question, the follow-up question. And that is, should we ever give up? Should we ever give up praying for sinners was a specific question that I would ask. You know, is there a point, you know, since, since we know that God gives up on sinners at some point, is there a point where we should, you know, stop wasting our breath, stop wasting our energy on people who, as best we can tell, they just don't seem to care about God. They are so far gone. God's given them over and there's just, there's just no chance at all. I want to answer that very, very clearly and very, very emphatically tonight. The answer to that question, should we give up praying for sinners, the answer to that is no. No, no, a thousand times no. We must never give up praying for sinners. Look in Romans chapter 10, if you're still here in that region. Look in Romans 10. It is Paul who writes the following in verse number 1. In Romans chapter 10 and in verse 1, Paul says, Brothers... My heart's desire and prayer to God for them is this, that they might be saved. Who's Paul talking about there? Paul's talking there about the Jews. More specifically, he's talking about the very Jews who have persecuted him all over the Roman Empire. These are the people who have thrown rocks at him. These are the people who have beaten him with rods. These are the people who have attempted to take his life and kill him. 
These are the people who just violently oppose the message of Christianity that Paul was preaching. And yet, what is Paul's response to that? Paul's response to that is, I'm going to pray for these folks. Now, we, if we were in those shoes, we might be inclined to think, well, God's given up on these people. God's had to have given up on these people. These people don't care about Jesus. They don't care about New Testament Christianity. God surely has given up on these people. Why should I bother with them? And you know what? Maybe God had given up on some of those people. But Paul didn't know that. Paul didn't have any way of knowing that. And neither do you and neither do I. We are not in a position to know when God has given up on someone. None of us have any way of knowing where a person stands with God in His forbearance and in His grace and in His mercy. We cannot know. And so what do we do? What we do is we keep taking the necessary steps, the things that God has provided for us in His Word, that lets us know that we can then help others to bring them to repentance. And yes, prayer, prayer is certainly going to be part of that. I realize that sometimes as we're dealing with folks, you kind of just kind of reach an impasse with a person. They're just not interested in this. And I realize that the things that Jesus had to say about the, you know, shaking off the dust of your feet and the hem of your garment, that kind of stuff, and about not throwing your pearls before swine, I realize there's some principles there that probably need to come into play that might kind of curb our efforts to reach lost people. But I'll tell you this, I don't think there's ever a point where we stop praying for sinners. Since we don't have the information that's necessary for us to be given up on people, We're just going to keep on doing what we know God wants us to do to help bring lost souls to repentance. We'll let God be the one to decide when to quit. And in the meantime, we'll just persevere in prayer. And I mentioned Manasseh earlier from the Old Testament. But I think about that guy in 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians 5. You remember that fella who was involved in a sexual relationship with his father's wife? Man, you hear about somebody being involved in that kind of sin? And it kind of almost seems like, I mean, that guy kind of almost fits the description of Romans 1. This seems like a guy who's just too far gone. God's certainly given up on him, and we ought to give up on him. And Paul gave instructions to that Corinthian church that, yes, you do need to take some steps. Steps of fellowship withdrawal from that individual. But did that mean that that Corinthian church gave up on that man? No, they did not. Because by the time we get to 2 Corinthians, what do we find? We find that that man had repented. I'd I'd be willing to wager at least a dollar to say that part of the efforts of that Corinthian church to win that man back was they prayed for him. There may have been some jaded folks who thought, oh, that guy's just too far gone, he'll never come back. And maybe they didn't bother praying for him. But I feel pretty confident in saying there were folks in that congregation who did pray for him. And he came back to the Lord. And we need to remember stories just like that in the Scriptures that will keep us motivated to keep doing what we ought to do. And that is we're not going to give up, especially in prayer. Now I hope that those ideas to those two questions, like I said, that first question was a really good question and it made the second question even easier to answer. But I hope that provides us with some things to think about as we consider this very serious business of giving up on sinners. It is a very sobering subject. And it is couched right within that passage in Romans chapter 1 about the wrath of God. People think about the wrath of God. 
thinking about maybe kind of testing God on that, testing the limits of where the Lord is, testing God's patience. I'm not interested in that. I'm not interested in dipping my toe and figuring out, you know, kind of where the line is. Where's the line where God finally gives a person over to sin? I don't want to know where that line is. I want to get as far away from that line as I possibly can. And I would like to think that everybody in this room is of the same mind. Otherwise, you wouldn't be here tonight. Your presence here tonight says that you're a spiritually minded person. That you do care about the Lord. You care about your soul. You care about eternal matters. If, however, you're not a child of God, you need to know that you are, you are sorely lacking. You are coming up wanting in your soul because you have not been washed in the blood of Jesus Christ. But the good news of the Gospel is that Jesus did come. And the even better news for us tonight is that the world is still standing. All things are ready and available for you to become a Christian tonight. If you're ready to confess your faith in Jesus as Lord, and if you're ready to repent and turn from sin and be baptized in water, then tonight you can become a Christian. You can become a part of the family of God. If you are a Christian, but you've not been faithful to the Lord, maybe somewhere along the way you just kind of thought to yourself, I'm just going to kind of test God on this. I'm going to just kind of just see how far I can get to that line, you know, without crossing over... Brothers, sisters, come back. Get away from the line. Get, get back to the Lord. Draw near to Him. And if there's some repenting you need to do, some praying you need to do, if there's some encouraging that we need to do for you, then we stand ready to assist you in that. Whatever your need might be tonight to be right with the Lord, then why don't you take those steps? Do that by coming to the front while we stand and while we sing.